beautiful picture of the um, transformation that uh, the gospel brings through the power of uh, Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. So um, it's a great uh, opportunity we have to get inside and support Open Doors as they uh, do a great work uh, around the world serving the persecuted church. So um, uh, tremendous. And we're going to show more of those testimonies as, uh, as the years uh, or the months progress on. They're going to send them out more regularly and I think they're a great thing to inspire us and encourage us as we see uh, God's work taking place uh, around the world through various people. Uh, today though we are still into the second book of Corinthians and uh, working our way through that and uh, just thinking about um, where we are today, I was thinking about a man called George Mueller um, from the 1800s, many of you may know him, some may not know him, he uh, was a, a Christian man who ran uh, orphanages in Bristol, England in the 1800s. Uh, he lived a life of, of gospel love and selfless charity, serving the forgotten people of society, people, uh, children who were just put out on the street. Uh, he collected them into the hundreds by the end mm. of these massive big homes in Bristol, England and uh, provided for them, um, both physically and spiritually through his humility and his kindness, a great work that uh, George Muller had done. Many may not, though, uh, know this, that prior to this, George Muller was a thief. And he could think of nothing better than uh, having a drinking party with his friends. That's who George Mueller was in his uh, younger days. He actually used to steal money from his father and then, se- and then spend it on wild parties. Uh, and amazingly though, George Mueller was a transformed man. The gospel came to bear upon his heart. The Holy Spirit brought the power with that gospel and he was transformed and he was never the same again. Now, we're going to look at that today, the way the Spirit transforms us and we are on this path of transformation, of changing and growing and ever-changing and growing uh, through the work of God's Spirit uh, in the new covenant age of the gospel age of where we are today. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, please go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and we're going to read all of that chapter. Verse 1, are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are a letter, are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ, Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. It's a fair bit of glory in that passage there, wasn't there? Verse 12, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, 
that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies, lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Uh, Father, we just thank you that we can come before you this morning. We ask and pray now that, Holy Spirit, as we've been reading about this glorious work that you do, this new covenant, this new age, this gospel age of the Spirit living and dwelling within us, being born again, and now being on the path of transformation. We ask, Holy Spirit, today that you would uh, grow us along this path of transformation today. Uh, reawaken it within our hearts and help us to commit to partnering with you to be transformed into the image of Jesus. This we ask and this we now pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, so uh, I love where Paul actually ends this passage here in uh, 2 Corinthians 3. He ends on uh, transformation. This is the end point of gospel ministry, to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. This is the very thing that Paul is pointing to here with the Corinthians as he writes this chapter to them, as he writes the whole letter to them, in fact. In the first few verses, there's talk of being commended and letters of recommendation, as Paul's talking about here. I'm thinking uh, what's happening here is the false teachers who are infiltrating this church at Corinth. Maybe they were wanting some sort of covering letter from the Corinthians, maybe something they could attach to their resume so they went off to some other town to sell their false gospel. They could say, hey, here is what we've done in these other towns. Paul's talking about these letters and commendations and here it says in verse 2, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. What Paul is saying here is this, if you want to talk about commendations and recommendations and things like that, Paul's saying this, look at the transformation in your own lives, Corinthians. Isn't that a recommendation that our ministry, Paul's ministry of the gospel, is the real deal? Look at, look at the transformation your own life has been through. Look at where you were and look at where you are now. Isn't that a recommendation or a commendation that the gospel ministry we are proclaiming is the real thing? Paul goes further here into this chapter as well to open up now this gospel truth of the ministry of the Holy Spirit that is the new covenant agent, agent of change. So here's where we want to land today as we look at this uh, passage and chapter. Uh, God the Holy Spirit works in people firstly through being born again, converted. There's a great transformation that takes place there. And secondly, to be on this continual path of transformation, to be transformed into the likeness of of Christ himself, the perfect human being, the God-man. Okay, to, to help us uh, set this up, let's, let's think about the old and the new, which is what Paul is talking about here in this first part of the uh, passage and this sort of glory of this and one glory is passing, another glory is coming. Uh, this was a major drama here for the early stages of the New Testament church. The drama was this old covenant law of Moses and how that fits in with the new age of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was a tension there because I can imagine for thousands of years they were dealing in the law of Moses 
and now this new gospel age had come in, so there's, how does this all fit? So there was a drama here they really, really struggled with. I'm not going to talk about it deeply today uh, in our, as, as the focus of our talk, but we'll explain what's happening here with Paul and these guys as they're talking about this. Back to verses uh, 7 and 8, have a look with me there, it says this, Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So Paul's got a couple of different lines of glory happening in this particular part of the the passage. God gave his law, we're talking about the ministry of death and I'll explain a bit of that in a moment. God gave his law carved in stone tablets to Moses, known as the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai when Israel had just left Egypt a few thousand years before this, had, uh, where Paul was talking the Corinthians. And when Moses had come down from the mountain or when he was in the tent or the dwelling place of God, the, the, uh, the tent they set up for uh, God's presence to be in, in a uh, symbolic way, but a real way, when Moses was coming in and out of that, he would come out of there radiating or shining, as it were, with the glory of God upon him. So much so that they couldn't bear to look at him. So he put a veil over his face until that time when they, that uh, glory began to subside away. This law here, these Ten Commandments that uh, God gave to Moses, uh, really was to reveal the holy nature of God and also to instruct Israel on how you should live. It's there to reveal the holiness of God. When you read through those Ten Commandments, you see a very pure, innocent and glorious picture of God. And it was also to help the Israelites at that time, well, okay, we are your people, Lord, how do we live? Okay, here's how you live. Here's the instructions of how you conduct yourself. Here's how you see me and here's how you see each other. Unfortunately, though, Israel took God's law to the point of making it the way to earn God's favour in their lives. They thought if they could keep, if they thought if they could work out a way of keeping God's law through all sorts of twists and turns, which is what they did, if they, if somehow that he would accept them by keeping this law and that he would pour his favour and his promises upon them by obeying what he said. Now this isn't unlike people of today in some respects. People often think, if I do enough good things, I'll now earn a reward. I've got a Woolworths rewards card and if I do enough good things with Woolworths, they'll give me a reward. What are the good things? As long as I keep shopping at Woolworths, I'll keep getting rewards. If I do enough good things... I'll get a reward. Often we can think like that. And maybe we think that way about God. If I could do enough good things in life that I can present to God at the end of my life, that God will say, hey, you're such a good person, you can live with me now forever. Often we default to that type of thinking. Maybe that's you today. Maybe this is the first time you've ever been at a church or maybe the first time you've been to exchange. And if it is, we're glad you're here. We really love to have visitors come and be with us at exchange. We love new people coming. But maybe you're thinking that's how you get to God, by doing good things. We hope by the time you leave here, you'll know that that isn't the way to get to God. The way to get to God is through Jesus Christ alone and what He has done for us. Back to God's law though. God's law is a glorious thing. It does reveal His holy glory. But the law has no power to save anybody. God's law was never designed to save us. By just obeying that, we would be saved. 
It was never designed for that. God's law was revealing our, not only revealing his glory, but it was also revealed our shortfall and our sinfulness, not saving me. When it becomes like the ministry of death, when we break God's law, we then earn the penalty of death. That's why Paul's referring it to there as a ministry of death. It's a good thing, but we couldn't keep it because we aren't perfect, we're broken. And it's quite probable here that the false teachers in Corinth were promoting their false promises by saying, if you just keep God's law, you'll get whatever you want in life. It's a bit like a formula. One plus one equals two. If you just do these things, this will happen. It's possibly what they were saying here, just do this. But Paul pushes back on that and says, that's not the gospel at all. That's not what it's about. In fact, Paul teaches that Jesus Christ has has ushered in, get those words out in a minute, in a new covenant age, a more glorious dimension of God's purposes. It's now the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. Look in verse 6 where we see that. Paul says, Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit? For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Jesus, God in the flesh, has ushered in this crucial transition of the gospel in the new covenant a new agreement. Prior to Jesus' coming, God's relationship with people was in a less revealed way or a less revealed fashion. And I say that really carefully. I'm talking pre-Christ. God was actively and intimately involved in the world, but not as actively and intimately involved in every person's life as in the ones who are following God. Things change though. But now in Christ... We have God living inside of us through the Holy Spirit in an up-close and very personal relationship. Now, if you're not a believer, that might sound really weird to you. You've got God inside of you. Yes, I have. And when you become a believer, you'll actually understand what that means. It's a miracle, but it's the truth. God lives inside of me. And for anybody who's trusting in Christ and turned away from sin, God is living inside of you. This is always the way it was with God, with the coming of Christ. And he actually promised a new covenant, a new agreement when Jesus came. He actually promised it way back, ahead, um, hundreds of years before. And look in Jeremiah 31 here, where he talks about this. Behold, the days are coming. The new covenant, new age is coming, declares the Lord. Well, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I'll write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. His God, hundreds of years before, and the Holy Spirit inspiring the prophet Jeremiah to write this. There's a new age coming where I will live inside of you. No longer will be like an external thing. It'll be on your heart because I'll be in your heart making you aware of how I want you to live. This is the glorious new age of a living and loving relationship with God through the Holy Spirit that we are privileged to now experience today. Think about now this true, this new spirit then of transformation in this new covenant age as we think about this, this Holy Spirit that lives and dwells within inside of us. 
Paul takes us for a deeper look here in the next uh, passage of verses, in verses 12 and 18, and, and the purposes here of this new covenant age of God's Spirit. Firstly, Paul tells them the Spirit enables us to be born again, and that's a major transformation, so that we can have this new mind and new heart and grasp the wonder and glory of God. Look in verses 14 and 15 with me as we see that. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. What's Paul saying then when he says this? He's saying this. They are listening week after week to the law of Moses in the synagogue and they can't see what it truly is. There's a veil over their hearts, over their minds. In the synagogue of back in those times, someone would stand to read the Old Testament scriptures from Genesis through to uh, Malachi. And for those sitting there with this veil over their heart, over their spiritual eyes, all it was for them was just like a bunch of good stories. Maybe some history of Israel and really nothing else. Someone would stand and read and all they can hear or see is history, poetry or maybe some wise sayings from Solomon. It was a bit like blah, 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 blah. There was a veil over their eyes. It didn't really mean anything. It wasn't actually hitting the spot. There's a darkness there. There's a blindness there. There's a veil there. And they can't see what this is all about. And our own hard hearts contribute to this blindness. Because when we hear the gospel as clear as crystal presented to us, we often will say, not for me, not interested. Because there's a veil there, there's a blindness there, there's a hardness there. Our heart is stubborn towards that truth. But then everything changes. Everything changes. The Holy Spirit sovereignly comes along and lifts that veil from before our eyes as we turn to Jesus Christ. Verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil's removed. When one turns to Christ, the veil is lifted. Our eyes are opened. We can see. I once was blind, said John Newton, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. When we turn to the Lord, the veil is lifted. The Spirit comes in and lifts that blindness from us and we can now see this is the miracle of the new birth. This is the work of God's Spirit in coming and renewing us, giving us new eyes and new ears to really and truly see who Jesus is and what God has put together. As we turn to Jesus, the Spirit removes this veil of blindness. It keeps us from seeing the glory of God. Where once I was not the slightest bit interested in God, it might have been a nice thing, but really I was not interested at all. I now have a profound awareness of Him. Everything I see is different. When I go out to the bush and I sit beside the river and look at the river, it looks different. The difference is I know God created that river. God created those trees. I sit there and I see everything different. When I see people, I see them differently. They're no longer maybe some I like and some I don't like. I like all people because they're all made in God's image. 
when the Spirit does that, everything changes. We see everything differently. The Spirit awakens my mind and senses to the living God through this new birth, being born again experience. The Spirit also brings freedom to our souls, there it tells us. Look in verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. What's the freedom here that the Spirit is talking about, or Paul's talking about here? As the Spirit applies the gospel, understanding to our hearts, we experience a deep, deep inner sense of freedom. And that freedom is freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, and freedom from condemnation. The Spirit lets us know that Jesus has taken all that away at the cross. I'm no longer condemned, I'm no longer filled with shame, and I'm no longer guilty. Because Jesus has borne that upon Himself at the cross, and the Spirit awakens my heart with that freedom on the inside. It's no longer about trying to keep the law or doing enough good things to get forgiveness. It's about faith in Jesus Christ and what He has done for me. That's my freedom. That's my forgiveness. That's real freedom. That's the only freedom that the Spirit can give you that this world cannot give. This freedom also enables us to freely approach the throne of God. As Dave read for us before from Hebrews 10, it shows us that very clearly. If you look at verse 15 here, we see this. And the Holy Spirit the new covenant age here of the gospel, the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying. I just bring that verse up to say, who's making this known to us? Who's actually making us aware of what we're about to read next? God's Spirit. It's the new covenant age of the Spirit dwelling within us. And what does He make known? Let's look at verses 19 and 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, freedom, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He open for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, through Christ's body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, Jesus, let us draw near freedom, confidence, boldness, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is what the Holy Spirit makes known to us, this freedom to freely approach the throne of God. This is the gospel age of this Holy Spirit that Paul is now talking about here for the Corinthians. Everything has changed. It's a new age. It's a miracle. In fact, it's the greatest miracle that you and I will ever experience is the miracle of being born again. Greater than seeing somebody rise up out of a wheelchair, greater than somebody who's been blind to seeing sight physically or deaf and becoming hearing again, greater than even a dead body raised back to life is the miracle of the new birth. Because we cannot affect that upon ourselves at all. It's God who sovereignly comes upon us, lifts that veil, and we become alive, like we've never been alive before. This gospel ministry of the Holy Spirit has another dimension to it as well, and that dimension is this. The Holy Spirit not only removes the veil of blindness from us so that we are saved but he also continues a work of transformation within all of us for the rest of our lives here on this earth. Look in uh, verse 18 now as we begin to concentrate on that. And we all, with unveiled face, so the veil has been lifted, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 
See that word there, transformed? Pretty important in this verse here. Key word. Transform means to be changed. It means to be altered. I'm like this, but I'm becoming that. I once was a lazy, undisciplined person, but now I'm changing into a person who's ordered and energetic. I'm transforming. I'm changing. The transformation that the Spirit work works on with us is an inner change. When you're born again, nothing really changes on the external side of things. It's an inner change that stays within us, that, that the Spirit works on. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes to work uh, on our character, on our attitudes, on our mind and on our heart. And this has always been God's way for us since our rebellion before Him. He's wanted to come back and to rescue us and then change us. Look in First Thessalonians 4 as we see that. Uh, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. This is Paul writing to the Thessalonians. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honour. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. This is, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Change, separation, to be renewed. God's will for our lives is this separation from sinfulness and the brokenness that we have within us. Another way to say this is this, that the Holy Spirit will change us from broken, sinful living to holy and pure living. The transformation is a transformation into holiness and that is a glorious and a beautiful thing. We are transformed for holiness. How does this transformation look? as this is the work that God is doing to transform us, change us into holy people. Let's go back to our passage in verse 18 again. And we see there, uh, towards the middle, uh, from one degree to another. From one degree to another. Yep, there it is, right there in the middle. From one degree to another. Who knows how many degrees there are in a circle? You don't have to answer, you probably... Hopefully you do know if you've done your arithmetic and mathematics back at school. There's 360 degrees in a circle. Draw a circle and divide up into 360 segments. What do you have? You have lots of little segments all around the circle joined together to make the circle, don't you? The point is this. Transformational change with the Holy Spirit is usually little bit by little bit. One segment to another segment, one degree to another degree. Spirit-inspired transformation in our lives usually is a slow and gradual process. One degree to another degree. We have a deeply ingrained sinful nature within us and there's a whole lot of brokenness that our lives have been involved in over the years that has to be undone and put back together again. It's little bit by little bit. It's one degree to another. And this is the usual way that the Spirit deals with us in this gradual process. I heard this, uh, read this the other day in a blog post and, and, I, and I thought this was really powerful. It said this, life is 10% what happens to you and life is 90% how we respond to the 10%. Life is 
of what actually happens to us and the other 90% of life is how I respond to that 10%. So true. It's really, really true. Now, the Holy Spirit's working in the whole 100%, but the 90% is a slow, transformational work. The way I respond to the 10% of life with my 90% with either angry or bitter or jealous thoughts takes a lot of undoing. It takes a massive amount of undoing. Now, this work is a two-way partnership in this undoing and this changing and this transforming. God sovereignly works in our lives by the Spirit and we carry out our new life in response to God's work through His Spirit in our lives. What I mean is this when I say that. Our minds are renewed with correct thinking. All of our wrong responses comes from faulty, corrupted thinking. Our mind is renewed with correct thinking patterns and a new heart with new desires. And all this comes about from the Holy Spirit giving us those things, giving us a new heart, giving us new desires, new thinking. And then it's our responsibility to put on shoes to our faith and then walk out this new life. God renews our hearts and renews our minds, then he gives us the responsibility to now live that out, to walk that out, to let our faith now have shoes, as it were, upon it and then walk it out. It could look like this. Someone says something or someone does something very hurtful towards you. In a flash... In a quick moment, someone puts you down with a hurtful word. Happens real quick. That's the 10% of life. Something just happens to you and you just go through it. That's in the 10%. And then in the 90% of life, as you work out how you respond to that, you may have thoughts to get angry and lash out, just a quick retaliation. Thoughts of bitterness, possibly. It's coming so quickly at times. Or you might go away and you might fester on it and sort of just sort of boil over about it for a long period of time. That's that 90% of how we're going to respond to the 10%. But in that action, in that time, the Spirit is also working in our lives as well. And the Spirit there will help us to call to mind. Love your neighbour. Do good to those who persecute you. Look at what Jesus has done for you. He's working with us at the same time, giving us those alternative thoughts, the right thoughts, the correct thoughts to follow. Here's where you put your gospel shoes on to walk out that faith. We have a choice. We have a choice at that moment. Will I respond the way that is sinful, the way my flesh wants to respond? Or will I respond the other way with the Spirit's help in transformation? We sit at this balancing point, which way will I go? The choice is put before us. The Spirit gives us the new mind, the new desires and the power, but then we must... Make that active choice to pursue that and live that out. What will drive this transformation? Okay, we've got this uh, work of the Holy Spirit, give me new desires, new heart. What's going to drive it? Paul's going to go here with us as well to sort of see here's the motivating factor that will help keep driving us along this path of transformation, which is really, really critical. Again, Paul shows it to us at the start of verse 18. He says there, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. What is beholding? What are we doing when we are beholding something? Perhaps an example is maybe um, 
a young guy's just bought this brand new V8 sports car. He's standing out in the driveway and he just sits there and he just beholds that car, doesn't he? He looks at it, looks at the wheels, looks at the dice hanging off the mirror, looks at maybe the polished chrome on the side. He's just, he's beholding every detail of this car. He's just gazing at it. He's just intently looking. He's just beholding this car. He's looking at something with intent, with a fixed focus. And that's what Paul is saying here. Look intently, focus carefully, fix our eyes on the glory of the Lord, beholding the glory of the Lord. Fix our eyes upon that, focus intently upon that. And from that, we'll be motivated and empowered to transform. Paul's telling us here to fix our eyes on Jesus. Paul's telling us to to look intently upon Christ as the glory of the Lord. To focus upon him and to carefully gaze at him, to see him, to see every element and every aspect of who Jesus is. Where do we do that? Primarily we do that in the Bible. We open up this living word that the Holy Spirit has inspired and we see this glorious picture of Jesus Christ through the pages of the Bible. We fix our eyes on him through the scripture. I'll guarantee you, if you come to the Bible with a humble heart, with a humble heart asking the Spirit to help you to see Jesus, if you come that way, seeking to see him in the pages of scripture, you will be transformed. You will be transformed. I guarantee that. If you stop and and read and reflect on the scriptures and look for Christ and see him, as it were, coming through all parts of the Bible, he will grow in your heart. The glory of the Lord will be revealed as we think and reflect and think about these scriptures, as we carefully meditate upon them. The Holy Spirit will renew your mind. I'll guarantee you, if you come humbly looking for that and seeking that, as you read, the Spirit will change your heart. He will. Your desires will change. I'll guarantee you that. If you come humbly to open up the pages of Scripture and to look for that, you will change. Your love will grow for God in a whole new dimension as you see more and more of Him. The Spirit will actually grow that within you. Your love will grow for others. Maybe others you've had struggles with that you could never forgive before. The Spirit will actually renew you and transform you so you can forgive people you thought you could never forgive and people you could love that you thought you would never be able to love. It will happen as we behold the glory of the Lord through the pages of Scripture. It comes alive as the Spirit brings that alive in our hearts. And the whole point here as we think about verse 18 again is uh, we are being remade back into the image of Jesus Christ. Beholding him, let me see it in the last verse there. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory, are being transformed into the same image. So we are being refashioned back into the image of Jesus Christ, the perfect human being, the God-man who has come down to see us. This is precisely where God takes us. This is where the gospel gets to the end point of being fashioned and remade into the image of him who's come and rescued and saved us. God not only loves us so much to save us, but he also wants to transform us. Not save us and leave us there, but keep 
transforming us into the image of Jesus. A beautiful change, a glorious change, a change that reflects the beauty and glory of God. Are you transforming? Are you changing? Are you willingly going down the path of change? Is that you? Are you partnering with the Spirit, looking at Jesus in the Bible and committing to a life of change, making active choices to use what God's given to you? Are you transforming? Now, I say this really candidly today because I believe we have a big problem in Christianity. A big problem in Christianity. The problem is this. A significant part of Christianity has forgotten, has forgotten that we are meant to be progressively changing or transforming in our character and in our Christ-likeness. It's a significant problem today in Christianity. I feel there's a whole range of Christians out there who are happy that they're over the line, as it were, and saved and sort of content just to stay there. Well, I've just got over the line, I'm, I'm saved, I'm in. They're not actively looking to change. They're not actively looking to become more like Christ. They're not actively looking to see the gospel go deeper and deeper into their hearts so they reflect more and more of the glory of the Lord. Unfortunately, I've witnessed some believers, some Christians, and I'm going to say they are Christians, who barely changed over the years of their spiritual life. Spiritual pygmies, I might say that. I'm trying to say that as nice as I can. They haven't grown. The same way they dealt with problems 25 years ago or 30 years ago, they still respond the same way 30 years later. They're not working with the Spirit to become more like Christ, so their responses and reactions change. It's a problem. We're content to be saved, but I just don't want to grow that much more. It's hard work to grow. It's great. It's good. That's what God wants us to do. But there's many, many believers happy to get over the line and aren't really embracing change, the Spirit-empowered change. They haven't taken hold of what God gives to us and so we can change. And this makes the gospel look cheap and it makes the gospel look powerless. On the other hand, I've seen believers who go through enormous spiritual change. I've seen people that have taken hold of the Spirit's power and focused their lives on Christ and you see the beauty of Christ transforming them and it just radiates out of their lives. They're not perfect and they won't be perfect until they step into glory. But you actually see this change going on from the inside coming out and it's just a beautiful thing. George Mueller was like that. He was a thief, stole money to go to wild drinking parties. God changed him to be a man who cared for the orphans of the streets of Bristol. It's a beautiful thing. And when you see that, that makes the gospel look powerful. It actually makes the gospel look beautiful in a very glorious way. Are you changing? Are you transforming? Let me close with this scripture here from uh, Romans chapter 14. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but it's of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. See, this is the Spirit-filled, transformed life that we are invited into, a life of transforma transformational change that is peace, 
joy and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you now that we can uh, come and just read through this passage, read through this chapter. Lord, we thank you again uh, for the work that you want to do in our hearts and our lives. Not only do you want to save us, you want to change us. And we know that that change then goes into every aspect of our relationships, firstly with you and then all of our uh, horizontal relationships, Lord, as it were, with the people here that we live with. We are meant to be people that are growing and reflecting the glory of Christ out through our lives. And I pray today, God, that you would continue this work within us. Holy Spirit, you would continue to grow Jesus Christ, the gospel, deep in our hearts, working from the inside out, and this would change us. The change, the way, change the way we love people. Change the way we talk to people. Change the way we think about people. Change, Lord, every aspect of our lives. Lord, I pray you help us with the strength that's required to uh, embrace that change. It's not easy. It's difficult. Lord, we know that. You know that. That's why you've given us your spirit to live inside of us to embrace that change. So I pray today, please, let that uh, grow deep in our hearts. Let us sense and know the, the real and vital living work of your spirit changing us and taking hold of the things that we, you've given to us to implement that change in our lives. Lord, we ask that today for your glory, for your praise, and for our good as well. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.